Hey bird fans, you're listening to the Bird Fans Forever podcast with John Pepperton, John Diner, and myself, Steve Thate, the brains behind the whole operation. Go birds! Hello everyone, welcome to Bird Fans Forever podcast number 16. Reminder to everyone, if you haven't already done so, to follow us on Twitter, at Bird Fans Forever. And our central point of information is our website, www.birdfansforever.com. On the website, you can find tab with links to our podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, and others, as well as a tab to access our videos on YouTube, where we're also called Bird Fans Forever. So subscribe and follow on Twitter and YouTube so you can be up to date with everything going on from us. Our guest for today is Redbird for Life, Mike Vandegard, who played basketball at Illinois State from 1990 to 1994. We'll be right back with Mike. This is episode 16, Bird Fans Forever podcast, and we are here with Mike Vandegard. He played from 1990. He's on the 90-91 season, went five and something. We won't talk about that. And then he'll go on to win two more championships and play through 93-94. Mike has got the all-time made baskets at Redwood Arena with 15. He's got third for points in a Missouri Valley Conference Tournament with 56. He's third for free throws in a Missouri Valley Conference Tournament with 25. He is number one in a Missouri Valley Conference Tournament with seven block shots. At, when he graduated, he was the number one shot blocker at ISU. He led his team four consecutive years with block shots. He was the all-defensive team, which we're going to want to talk about. He made as a freshman and never played it, made it again, so obviously he never played defense his <laughs> sophomore, junior, or senior year. Second team all-conference, 93-94, academic all-American in 1994. Ended with 1,225 points. I am done sucking up to Big Vandegard. He can kiss my butt. And so let's roll on to the next one. So, Mike, thank you for being here. A pleasure as always. Um, all right. How'd you get to ISU? We start with this question all the time. You know, it's interesting. I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Went to Bloomington, Jefferson. Um you know, and, and back then in Minnesota, you weren't allowed to basically play AAU tournaments anywhere except if you were on the Minnesota AAU team. That was a high school rule. Um, so I never got seen. And then they lifted that rule in between my junior and senior year. So they created a team uh, from Minneapolis to go play. And uh, it was a Minneapolis, you know, all-star team or whatever. And we went down to Phoenix to play. Um, we played at Arizona State, and I just happened to, you know, go down there and be one of the better players on that team. And a guy named Billy King just happened to be in the stands. Uh, Billy King's my guy, great guy, recruited me, uh, worked for him with 76ers for a long time. He's been in the NBA, a uh, great friend for a long time. But he, uh, he, he saw me, thought I could play a little bit, and then started recruiting me and, and uh, got, got some – Division one interest and ended up being a Redbird. It, it, it's uh, turned out well. Awesome. All right. So next question. We're going to do it to you. All of us have played on that bad team. I got a nine and 23 team for my senior year. Five and 23 year, five and 23, right? Talk about the fight with Bender, but also not having practice stuff and, and from a from a player's perspective butterly talked about it from a manager's perspective and coach lowenthal talked about it from a coaching perspective so let's hear it from a player 
Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Being a freshman, you don't know what to expect. And, and you know, Illinois State had an unbelievable year, you know, your senior year and went to the tournament and almost knocked off Michigan, had a great chance. And so, you know, they brought in a whole new crew. You guys, five or six seniors, I don't know exactly what it was, but they brought in a bunch of new freshmen. So five seniors, um, they brought in four new freshmen. Um, and we just weren't ready to play, to be honest. Uh, that year, you know, we had – I want to say four freshmen average 18 minutes plus a game. Um, it, it was it was difficult. It was difficult. The uh, you know the expectations of opening Redbird Arena the year before. We actually still I think to this day have the most fans ever my freshman year. We averaged like 10,000 fans a game. The highest season tickets you know tickets sold ever. Part of it's Redbird Arena. Part of it's the amazing year you had before. And we went five and 23, um, you know, bringing in. And I want to say our freshman crew um, was the most minutes played by a freshman, you know, for freshmen in the country for, for a team. So we just had no experience and we just got our brains beat in. I mean, we lost 12 or 13 games to start the year. I remember my first game, my freshman year is on ESPN. We're playing Dayton. It's like the 11 yeah. o'clock ESPN game. You know, all my friends back home are watching. Only time in my entire career this happened. I get it. I'm in for like, I don't know, second or third play. They score. I take the ball out of bounds. You know, I'm not paying attention. I throw it in. They steal it. A guy comes in. I go to block the shot. The guy dunks right in my face. Like that was <laughs> that was my welcome to Division One basketball. And then in the second half, Something happens. I, I think I tip the ball away. We get a steal. They throw it ahead to me. I'm wide open at the free throw line. They throw it to me. I catch it. I'm going to go power dunk it. I'm going to impress all my friends on ESPN. First dribble, straight off my knee, right out of bounds. Like, oh, my gosh. And then sad thing is we got beat by 40. I mean, they, they beat us by like 100 to 60. It was just a thumping that I've never seen before in my life. That was welcome to Division One basketball. So, Needless to say, it didn't go very well. Um, you know, after we're about nine or ten losses in, you know, the coaches are at their wits' end. You know, we, we show up to the locker room one day, and locker room's locked. We're like, what the heck's going on? You know, we're, we're all standing <laughs> outside the locker room waiting to get ready for practice. We don't know what to do. Finally, the coaches come in, and obviously they're not happy. I don't blame them, you know. They come in there and they like, you guys are treated like prima donnas. You guys are treated like, you know, you got this beautiful locker room. You don't take care of, you know, blah, blah, blah. Sit down. So we all sit down and we see like wires out of the wall and there's nothing in our lockers. We're like, what the heck's going on? They had ripped the stereo out of the, you know, wall and the wires are just hanging in, you know, in the, in the ceiling and, you know, there's nothing in our lockers and they had thrown everything in the big, you know, laundry bins. And they're like, everybody gets one pair of shoes, find a pair of shoes. So we all had to scrounge around and find a pair of shoes. Um, they took away our practice gear. We had to get like little gray boy V-neck BVD, you know, T-shirts. They gave us a Sharpie marker and told us to write our number. You know, one guy writes it two inches tall. The next guy's got, you know, 17, you know, inch letters. I mean, it's just it, we looked like a bunch of rags and, and we deservedly. So we had little like the shortest shorts you could imagine. John Stockton age shorts for practice gear and the BVDs. And we had to 
we had to do the laundry. The managers weren't allowed to do the laundry for us. I mean, it was a rough, rough week or two. And that was at, I don't know, nine or 10 losses in a row. And we took another couple losses, but then we actually won three games in a row. Um, they wouldn't let us practice at Redburn Arena. We had to practice in the North Gym. They were like, you guys don't deserve any of this good stuff. So, you know, it was it was rough being 5-23. and 23. But with that said, you know, we went 5-15 and 15 our last, you know, 20 games. Um, and then we found a way to get better and better. And, you know, we won, you the, we won the conference the next two years. So you there did. was, there was a lot going on there. Um, but, Why don't you show us the ball? Because those are going to be your – the year behind you, that you had a great ball, so yeah. a great show and tell by Mike. Yeah, I got a ball autographed here from Illinois State. Uh, it's got Bob Bender on there. It's got the whole team from, I think, my sophomore year, Todd Cagle, uh, Coach Jack Letty, Antoine Hicks, Scott Fowler, Todd Wemhainer, uh, Steve Fitch, Brian Kern, Scott Taylor. Um, actually, Scott – look at that, Scott Taylor – Autographed it twice, I think. <laughs> yeah, Chad Altadonna, Reggie uh, Wilson, Chuck Barnes, you know, uh, Richard Thomas, all those guys. And I got that uh, I got that from a guy uh, at the uh, Alamo um, bookstore. Alamo he, he gave that to me when I was – when I saw him years later at Arch Madness along the way. So, um, you know, that's a great memento for my time at Illinois State. Awesome. Oh, and the last one was the, uh, before we wrap up this real quick, Bender fight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is interesting. When we were five and we were, oh, I want to say we were on 13. It might've been on 12. I think it was on 13 and we find a way to win a scrappy game against uh, Drake. And I want to say by one point or maybe Indiana state, I forget by one point. And then we go on and win another game. And then my our third game is a, is our second ESPN game of the year. We're playing Creighton. I want to say Creighton is 18 in the country. They got two studs, yeah. uh, Gallagher and Harstad. Harstad. Um, and and there's no reason we should be even in the game. I mean, those guys were studs. That team was really good, and we actually beat them on ESPN. That was another Saturday morning, 11 o'clock game for our third win of the year. So we <laughs> we were three and 13, and then we go a couple more games and we lose. You know along the way and then we play chicago state and chicago state's never been very good i don't think um and and so we play them and we're up i want to say we're up 18 20 points with a couple minutes left in the half and a fight breaks out i want to say scott taylor and one of their players got wrapped up in something in the and one of their players used yep. scott taylor's neck like put his hand on his neck to get up and when he did that guys started pushing and shoving and and it was on the far end of the court compared to where our bench was. And I was on the bench at the time. And this is the first year that they implemented. If you come off the bench during any altercation, you know, you're, you're kicked out of the game and you're suspended. And their whole team was right next to the fight. Their whole team jumps in the fight. So they got like 20 guys versus our five guys. <laughs> coach Bender goes running down there. Our assistant coaches actually do a good job. We talked about it, not leaving the bench. And they grab us all. So we stay on the bench. And one of their players just pops Coach Bender in the nose, breaks his nose. You know, and it's, a, I mean, it was a big melee. Coach Bender ends up getting a couple, you know, you know stair steps into the stands. And uh, he, you know, I didn't know what happened at the time, but we go back to the locker room. They tell us the game's been forfeited. We win because we still had players eligible that didn't leave the bench. Everybody on their team, 
you know, got ejected. So we win the game by forfeit. We were going to win anyways because we were way up. But the funny part about that story is Coach Bender broke his nose. And, I mean, he's in the locker room talking to us. And his nose, I'm not kidding, his nose is on the on his cheek. <laughs> and he's talking to us and telling us how great we were and how proud of us he was and this, that, and the other. And, oh, my goodness, that, that was amazing. And then the next day at practice, you know, we show up and, you know, we're doing our pregame warm-up. Coach Bender isn't there. We don't know what's going on. And, you know, we're doing our pregame or pre-practice warm-up, this and that. And finally, we start shooting free throws. And all of a sudden, we hear somebody from, you know, the, the uh, back of the arena come running and screaming as loud as you could scream. And, he, and Coach Bender's just running as fast as he can. He's got full catcher's gear on. He's got a, a, a catcher's mask, got, <laughs> you know, chin guards, he's got the chest protector. And he's like, ah, he's just running as fast as he can. And he slides at half court face first, you know, like you'd go into second. And, you know, everybody's just dying laughing because obviously we knew his nose was broken. And, you know, breaking up the, the mundane of being, you know, four and 20 at the time or whatever we were. So that's that's one of my one of my good memories from from a tough from a tough year. So, Mike, the next year, the team uh, uh, won the conference and it was much more successful. But, you know, one of the things that sticks out to me is, you know, looking back at that team, you, you know, each team, you know, through the career, they're lucky they have like one or two game-winning shots in, in a in a four-year career. But that team, in the one year, had four game-winning plays by four different players. And then you yourself, beyond that, had had a whole bunch too. So let's talk about some of that. Maybe we could talk about the first one, you know, uh, against Tulsa because I think everyone kind of remembers that one. Yeah, and, and, that's that's a great that's a great fitting and for Todd Kegel, you know, we were grinding it out. Um, you know, we won the conference that year after coming off a five and 23 season, we had a real slow start. We're playing in Tulsa, obviously good program, high level program that year. Um, and Todd Kegel gets fouled on a three pointer in the corner with literally no time left on the clock. One second, no time. I don't exactly remember. Um, and he goes to the free throw line, makes all three free throws to win the game. Like super clutch. It, it catapulted us, you know, to, to win a bunch of close games that year. Like we weren't beating people. We won the conference, but we weren't beating people by 15, 20 points very often. It was grinded out in the 50s, maybe low 60s, uh, and win by four, six, eight points. And that was a huge get for us. What was What's interesting in my – what I remember about that, and I still get grief about it today, my dad – from Minnesota came down to watch. That's usually a Wichita Tulsa swing. So he came down and he watched and everybody at Tulsa was handing out three point, you know, little, I don't know what you call it, pieces of paper, I guess, three pointers. Yeah. So after Todd Kegel makes that third free throw, my dad goes crazy. My dad grabs one of those threes and starts <laughs> running around, like running around the court. There's your three. There's your three. And my dad's running around like, what is going on here? But that's one of my best memories of that Todd Kegel three three free throws to win the game. So, so you made some free throws in your career to to, to yeah. win some uh, game yeah. winning shots too. So, yeah, let's talk same, about that. I mean, that same year, um, and I think Dan Butterly maybe talked about it for a minute. That same year, we were at Drake, and uh, I made two free throws with no time left, and that was a crazy scenario because. 
I don't, I don't know who shot the ball. Somebody shot it, and I went to go get the offensive rebound, and somebody just pulled me down. And it was literally at the buzzer. Ref blows the whistle. Drake thinks they won by one. Their whole team runs to the locker room. You know, Rudy Washington and the whole crew is literally in the locker room. The referees have to go back and get them. They pull them out of the locker room. They're standing on the side. No time left. And they're like, hey, you got to shoot two free throws. And I'm like, cool. And I'm not a great, I wasn't a great free throw shooter. You know, sick mid-60s my whole career. But I, I didn't seem to miss many late in games. So, you know, I walk up there. I'm actually feeling pretty good. I make a free throw. And all of a sudden, I hear this ching, 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 ching. I'm looking around. People are throwing, throwing. <laughs> literally pennies nickels quarters they're throwing them and they're bouncing all around me and i turn to the referee i'm like hey ref they're throwing coins the referee looks at me and goes well you better shoot the next one faster they're going to start throwing more stuff at you <laughs> so anyways i make the second one and we storm off to the locker room and you know that was that was one of my one of my many shots uh i want to say i had three last second shots to beat drake my freshman year I hit a little 17-foot baseline jumper to beat Drake for one of our five wins. And then I had two more free throws, maybe my junior year in the conference yeah. tournament. Um, with four Again, seconds, in the conference tournament. I want to say four seconds left to beat Drake in the, in the, in the first round of the conference tournament. So um, Rudy, Rudy Washington, um, we used to call him Big Booty Rudy. Big Booty Rudy did not like me at Drake at all. And you beat Bradley in overtime. You, you hit two free throws too. So, Mike, we got to ask you. So, you were you were a coach, right, in Division One? Yep. Right. What would Coach Vandegaard say to the player Vandegaard who shoots sixty six percent? You know, during the you know for his career, but it shoots literally a hundred percent, knocks down all these game winning free throws. Concentration, concentration, concentration. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a nineteen year old kid. There's good looking girls in the stands and cheerleaders. <laughs> I guess, I guess I just needed more concentration. You know, I got I got a bunch of grief from Coach Bender and Coach Lowenthal for shooting fadeaway jumpers. But, you know, when they go in enough, they go in enough. And when it came down to the last minute of the game, there were better free throw shooters. But I would I would take I would take my chances with me at the free throw line over just about anybody in the last minute. For sure. Amen. Did, did you realize that you you shot almost? I don't. You're in the top ten for shooting free throws. You're way up there. If number you had nine. shot like eight, number nine. So if number you nine. shot uh, eighty yeah, percent versus your sixty-six, my, where you'd be on the career's points. Yeah, my score, my scoring miles uh, <laughs> would have gone up if I made more free throws. You brought up that Bradley game, um, and I actually this is interesting too because people don't talk about this a lot. I, I took a ton of charges, and and you know I was a white guy who you know, actually could block some shots and jump off two feet, but I wasn't fast. I wasn't quick. I had to do anything it took to try to win. And I faked charges all day long. And I actually took a charge um, against Bradley, I think, to get those two free throws with about nine seconds left in the game that time. And there was one time at Bradley, oh, they had a big kid, six, eight, um, Alexander maybe or something. I forget his name. I took four charges on him, and he fouled me one time when I shot the ball. I got all five fouls on him and fouled him out in the game. Like Bradley, Bradley 
fans and and those guys didn't like me either. I wasn't very liked, I don't think, in the Missouri Valley, to be honest. Tell them about the broomstick, right? You were telling us off air oh, the broomstick yeah. story. My, my, my senior year, they uh, they put my face. You know, now nowadays you get those huge, uh, you know, poster size faces. But back then, that no one ever really did that. They printed out a bunch of you know pieces of paper and cut out you know in a little circle my face and they handed it out to the the entire crowd at Bradley, and then there were these two sixty year old ladies right next to our tunnel, you know, to go in and out of the locker room. And they actually put my face on a broomstick and I had the big mullet going, you know, I was thinking I was pretty smooth with the mullet. You know, I was pretty cool back in the eighties and nineties, especially Minnesota hockey player. You know, that was a cool thing. Right. So I had the big mullet and these ladies put it on a broomstick, you know, with the, with the mop, you know, things going backwards. And as we're walking in and out of the locker room, you know, before the game and at halftime, these old ladies are, you know, 60 years old, jumping up and down, telling me how much of an asshole I am, um, at, you know, at Bradley. But, you know, those were those are some of the great, great memories and, and great times of, you know, playing playing high-level basketball for Illinois State. You know, I wouldn't change them for the world. I mean, Diner and I always talk about this. Is there, there's certain players from certain teams, right, that they just seem like they're around the whole time. And you came in as a freshman. You played tons of minutes. So you, you played – all four years, you had the mullet, which I mean was very, very noticeable, right? We even had a poll for best hair, uh, 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 and you got second to Paris. I, I, I voted to, for I, I voted for you. I had to get some <laughs> but votes. You got some votes, yeah, and, and so very noticeable. And you did those things. You took the charges. There's contact. You, you know the game-winning shots, and, and and just as much as John and I could sit there and pick out some players, you know, from other teams. We know though that around the conference that you were just loved by the rest of the Missouri Valley. <laughs> oh, you know, uh, I got I got a good friend who was a roommate. He was the athletic director at Southern Illinois, and about once a year he would call me up with some supporter or booster, and he'd be like, "Hey, I got somebody on the phone. They're a big fan. They wanted to talk to you." And I'd get on, and they'd be like, "Man, I hated you at Illinois State. You suck." You know, and, I mean, it's 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 interesting my senior year actually this is an interesting story i got knocked in the eye or the face and i was bleeding and some guy in like the third row or fifth row is just loving it you know yelling just loving the fact that i got hurt and this and that and the other and literally i'm sitting in my apartment about four or five days later and this guy calls me up and he's like hey i just wanted to tell you i was the guy in the eighth row you know, yelling at you and telling you how much you suck and this and that. And he's like, I want to apologize. I have a son. If, if he would have got hurt like that, I, I, you know, wouldn't wouldn't want anybody to say that to my son and this and that. I thought that was pretty cool. And I was like, hey, man, you're cool. a Spooky fan. You got to cheer for your for your team. And I understand it. And, you know, but it's, it's funny, the 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 angriness and the visceral you can get from fans when when you're kind of a player that stands out you know, as, as one of the leading scorers or, you know, one of the better players and, you know, doing some of the dirty stuff you need to do to win games. And, you know, that was Illinois State at that time. We had a bunch of guys that were just Amen, tough, grinded out, do whatever it takes to win. Might not be the prettiest thing in the world, not making a ton of threes, not playing fast break all day. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes it just, you know, it ends up that way. And I was happy to take it. Like, I loved it. I love playing away just as much as I love playing at home. People yell at you and get like that gets your juices going. You know, you smirk at the crowd a little <laughs> bit. 
you know, <laughs> give them a little smile, like, hey, how you doing, man? Like, yeah, you're here for a fight tonight. Let's see how it goes. You know, I, I used to love that stuff. See, that's what I was like, was like, you could tell you embraced it. And you never back down from it. Like, if anything, never. it just turns you up to another notch. You know, yeah, the, no, the contact, everything. Absolutely. Like, that stuff, it, it, it gets me, my juice is flowing just talking about it now. You know, that competitive yeah. spirit. Some guys don't like it. You know, some guys are real competitive, but they don't like it when people are jumping their butt. But I was always kind of an underdog. You know, like I said, I didn't get recruited that much, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, for whatever reason, I could actually jump pretty well. Like I said, off two feet, got a lot of block shots, could get some dunks like that. But I couldn't jump off one foot to save my life. I couldn't move laterally to save my life. Like, you got to do every little thing you can. Grab, hold, push, shove, Amen, brother. take, whatever you got to do. And, you know, when people when people start getting mad at you and you just tricked the refs and tricked everybody, like, it just makes you smile. I loved it. Amen. So, Mike, your, your junior year probably was the, the best season, at least from a results standpoint. You guys yeah. started, like, 1-5 in five that year. You, you had a one-point loss at, at Redbird Arena to, to DePaul, start 1-5. and five. And then you guys really turned it around, and, and you finished that season 19-10, and 10, won the conference, but you weren't invited to the NIT. It's, so, as a fan, I'm still bitter about that, but bitter. as a player, <laughs> I am. What, what's it feel like? Because you guys had won the conference back-to-back -back years and, and to not get invited to NIT. Yeah. Especially was, finishing on a high. You know, you guys are finishing well. Yeah, that was tough. That was tough. You know, um, we've talked about it before. You know, that one-point loss to DePaul was tough. You know, they were a solid team. Um, you know, that would have helped us tremendously get to that 20-win plateau. Um, we actually had a shot to win it at the buzzer. I passed up dumped it off and and we missed a layup at the buzzer which which was crushing crushing i'm telling you it was crushing um but anyways <laughs> you know we bounced back um you know we didn't start real great any of my years there um even my senior year and junior year i don't necessarily think we got off to great starts but you know once we got into january and february we turned it around and you know played really well down the stretch and uh we you know won, won an outright conference championship i think for the first time in a long time um, you know, I know, I know, Pam, your team went, you know, to the NCAA tournament, but you guys didn't win the conference. Uh, I don't nope, think did not win the conference, you know, won and, the tournament. Yep. So we were, we were hoping we'd get a chance at the NIT. And I think people actually thought we, you know, had a great chance to get in and, and we didn't. And they've actually changed that rule now, you know, all conference tournament or all regular conference champions make the NIT. Um, and that, that transition in the NCAA happened shortly thereafter. And, you know, I don't know if we were a piece to that puzzle, but yeah, we really got snubbed that year. That was disappointing. Both years. So, so your your senior year, you, you got you know a good amount of players returning, right? You, you had that that class that came in as freshmen. Your seniors now, but there's a coaching change. So, so let's talk about like how that impacted that season. You know, especially the beginning and in that whole transition. Yeah, it was, it was different. You know, Coach Stallings' style of play was way different than Coach Bender's. Uh, Coach Bender's style of play was kind of grind it out three round two, you know, get it to the post, you know, play great defense and, and just kind of grind things out. Coach Stallings really wanted to open it up, you know, shoot three pointers, um, you know, brought in some some guys that fit his style a little bit. But the, the, the main core that was still there, um, really wasn't that style of play. Um, 
you know, I didn't get as many touches in the, in the, in the interior. Um, and he wanted to shoot a lot of threes and we weren't a great shooting team at the time. Um, and it was, it was a difficult transition. Like, you know, we started off slow, but then I think we won seven or eight, you know, of our last nine or 10 games or eight or nine games. Um, and we still finished fourth in the conference, had a good year. Um, our conference record, I want to say was 12 and five or 13 and five or something. It's still pretty solid. Um, it wasn't quite what we had hoped our senior year after winning two championships, but you go through a coaching change, it changes a lot. Um, and Coach Stallings was an amazing coach, and he brought in his guys and did some amazing things after he after we left. Um, it probably would have been beneficial if he could have tweaked how he wanted to coach, um, but it was his first time as a head coach. You know, he, he had a lot of things that he needed to learn, and I think if he had to do it all over again, he might he might tweak some things to fit what our personnel had at the time. Um, and, and I don't think he was ready to do do that. He's coming from Kansas. He wanted to score 85 points a game and, and really change how things worked. And, you know, we were still good, but we weren't built to play like that. So a- after you graduate, you, you played a couple of years and then you coached a couple of years, but you eventually you make your way to the uh, 76ers, right? And you're doing scouting. Yeah. And you were there for for a long period of time, right? I was there 18 years. years. And the reason I jumped to the 76ers is Billy King, going back to my recruiting days when I was, you know, 17, 18 years old, and Billy recruited me, making lifelong friends. You know, he offered me a job with the 76ers. And, you know, I started when we went to the finals against the Lakers in 2000, 2001. We had AI and that whole crew. And then I was with them all the way through drafting Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and, Markel oh. Fultz and the whole the whole shebang, <laughs> the whole tank, uh, you know, tanking scenario and, you know, all that type of stuff. So it, it, it was a heck of a ride. So, so is there any truth to the, the rumors that uh, Adam Sandler uh, consulted you on, on the movie, the, the Hustle? The Did hustle. you see that movie? Yeah, I saw that movie. <laughs> that's, that's, that's was, that, was, it, was that the Mike Vandegaard story? You know what? I, I got a bunch of texts after that, and they asked me about how, how, how truthful is that. And I'll tell you what, it's the spin, spinning image of a scout being in the middle of nowhere, walking by a park, and finding the greatest player ever just playing in a park all by himself, you know, in the middle of nowhere. No, that's that's funny. I, I, like the movie. I highly recommend everybody watch it, but there's almost zero truth to that in terms of the scouting, oh. scouting life. <laughs> that is awesome. All right, now where? So uh, we got to talk about the hair, okay? Because uh, uh, how long did it take you to actually prep for a game and get that hair ready? Oh, it didn't take long at all. You know, just a little swoosh here, and I mean, it was all fluffy in the back. You don't have to do anything there. Like, you just got to make sure you know you got you got the sides tight and you got the you got the back still growing. As long as no one cuts it, you're good to go. You roll out of bed and you're you're off and running. I got a lot more gel. So, so, I got a lot more gel in my hair now that I'm yeah. fifty years old. That's what happens when you get older, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that mullet that mullet served me well for a long time, but but uh, you know, um, it's it was time to cut it. I don't know when, but a long time ago. Uh, my son and I actually were just talking about it today. We saw a baseball player, red hair, 
huge mullet and he absolutely loves it. My 12 year old, I'm like, Hey, you need to roll with the mullet. He was like, no way, dad, I'm not doing it. So, <laughs> it's, trying, it's trying to make a comeback in certain circles, but my son wasn't on board yet. So we'll see, we'll see when no. he gets older, if I can talk him into it. Well, you know, you know how that is. It, your kids never think what their, their parents did was cool at all. No. <laughs> at least they'll never admit to it. <laughs> hey, I got, I got something interesting. This is something my kids think is really cool though. Let me show you this. I've never, this isn't Redbird related, but um, when I was coaching at Division One at Southwest Texas, this is a picture of me playing against Michael Jordan and blocking oh, that shot. Wow. Just looking at that. <laughs> so, Michael Jordan actually, uh, two weeks after, two weeks after he won um, the last championship in '98. Uh, he came down to Southwest Texas where I was coaching and he played in an exhibition game and they were supposed to have a bunch of NBA guys show up and they didn't show up. So they said they needed some helpful guys to play. I'm like, I'll play. And I got to guard Jordan the whole game. He got to guard me the whole game. It was an amazing experience. How many, because you know, Jordan came to Horton Fieldhouse in 85 and played. How many points did he go for on you? Well, listen to this. This is funny. Mike Finley was on my team and is the only dude besides me that can play. Mike Finley walks to center court and says, guys, I guard him all the time in the real world. I ain't guarding him tonight. Who wants to guard him? And I jumped up like a four-year-old schoolgirl. I'm like, I'll do it. I'll do it. So I guarded him the whole game. Michael Finley had 61. Michael Jordan had 45. I had 35. And our team won 119 to 111. And – Jordan wasn't real happy about that, but hey, he had played 36 holes of golf, probably drank a few brews along the way, and uh, <laughs> he didn't he didn't think he was going to run into the Michael Finley and Mike Vandegaard show that night. <laughs> well, we're going to have to call out Slick Rick and his boys because Hank the Tank and Michael McKenney, and I think it was Lou and Ricky Johnson held um, Jordan to 61 in Horton Fieldhouse in 80 uh, spring of '86. Wow. So, yeah, it, he was playing with like these WBNQ all stars okay. and Michael Jordan on the team. And then there was like former ISU players. There was like three or four of them there and then some yeah. other people. And whenever Jordan wanted to, he just scored on him. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And the more got, they hunkered, the more they hunkered down, the more Jordan went at him. <laughs> I got a little footage of that. I might throw it in here while we're talking about this. I, I don't have any, unless you have some footage of Mr. Vandegaard, you playing against Jordan. I don't. Or otherwise, take a, take a good picture of that and send that to me. There's no footage. There's no footage. I'll send that to you, though. Um, yeah, yeah. Yep. All right. Butterly also mentioned you on his three-pointer in Europe. So what was that like seeing your manager come running onto the court? Well, and, and I don't know, and I, I didn't see Dan's episode yet, but um, I don't know how much he told you about that. But uh, Coach he, Coach Bender, with about, I don't know, four minutes, five minutes, six minutes left in the game, is like, Dan, Dan, go get your stuff. Go get ready. And and so Dan suits up, and he he was all excited about getting in the game. Obviously, Dan's a great guy. He took care of us like no tomorrow. Still a great friend today. Everybody loves Dan Butterly. That's ever met him. And he gets in the game, and he catches the ball and passes it. I think Coach Bender maybe said, don't shoot. You know, he did. All, he did. All, all, he did. all the players are like, shoot it, shoot it. 
<laughs> so he catches it and passes it, and we're all like, what's going on, Dan? Shoot the ball. So a couple more times down the court, he finally shoots it, and I don't think he made his first couple shots, um, but I, I don't remember exactly. But he finally makes a shot. It goes in. We're going nuts, having the greatest time. But then the sad part is right after the game, we have to call in the score um, to the panograph. And Coach Bender's like, you can't put Dan's name in the box score. And Dan was crushed. Like, I'm telling you, he was so excited. <laughs> he wanted to be listed as, you know, he scored a bucket in the game. And Coach Bender said he couldn't couldn't get listed in, you know, the box score in the panograph that came back the next day. About that was crushing, but that was one of the greatest moments of, you know, teammates, camaraderie, just best friends, just having a great time and having a, a great moment for Dan and the team to celebrate on that trip. You know who stole those three points? Who did? I'm going to give you one guess. Who do you think would steal the points from Butterly? Todd Cagle. <laughs> you got it, big yep. boy. You got oh, it. Man. I might not have scored that game, to be honest. I might have been a scored <laughs> All right. So this has been episode 16. Mike, thank you so much. Give you a couple of any closing words you want to close with, big man? No, no. Um, just want to say thanks for having me on. Time at Redbird, you know, being an ISU Redbird, some of the four best years of my life. Loved it to death. Wouldn't change a thing except maybe making the NIT now or then. Uh, that would have been nice. But, man, it's it's fun to revel in some old memories, and I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, talking to us and, and keeping Redbird uh, history alive. It's really awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Mike Vandegar, episode 16. Um, we set it off air. I couldn't get my game winners to go down free throw wise. Big mad respect for you, brother, for knocking on those free throws like that, right? And so, um, but one last dig, I shot 72% from the free throw line. So this is bird fans forever and we're cutting out. <laughs> Take it away, big boy. <laughs>